Hello, everybody. Howdy doody. Welcome back to the Octoberthon. Octoberthon. Trademark. Trademark. <laughs> Registered trademark. trademark. TM. Um, yeah, the Octoberthon of Intername Here. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we, we probably know who we are, so. We come here to enter names. Yep. Uh, follow us on Facebook, Intername Here. Instagram, Intername Here Podcast. And, uh, email us at yeah. Gmail. That's uh, Intername Here Podcast at Gmail. That's right. And send Chris some hate mail. He's been missing some. Yeah, you guys are not sending <clears throat> the hate mail like we need you to. Yeah, just for Chris, remember. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, yeah, please. Um, yeah, so this time on uh, for the Octoberthon, our topic. What are we doing? We're going to do serial killers this time. So. Oh. Have to make so, something uh, up real quick. Yeah. <clears throat> uh, actually, so just a trigger warning, there could be some things that are talked about that aren't pleasant we're talking about serial killers so yeah there's definitely going to be uh some death some death uh mine has some uh, sexual assault talk yeah so All there's right. some of that so, going on mine does too yeah well look at that and, you know serial killers aren't necessarily like you know classified in the fun department but you know they're interesting <laughs> to say the least so anyways before we get into the serial killers uh i guess we'll talk, catch up on some stuff yeah, uh, usually do some news stories. Yeah, we just have uh, the world's hottest pepper has been released. Yeah, that's one of the stories <clears> I had. <throat> yeah. Pepper X. Pepper X, indeed. Formerly known like, as Pepper Tweeter. I, twi- Twitter, Twitter. Tweeter. Tweeter. Yeah, Twitter. Pepper <laughs> like Twitter. Two times as hot as uh, with the the um, ghost pepper. Yeah, the uh, Carolina Reaper. Yeah, there you was go. The Carolina the, Reaper. Was the uh, was the world record holder. And it averaged 1.6 mil, 1.6 million Scoville heat units. Pepper X rates at 2,693,000. Mm, same Scoville. guy grew both peppers, too. Yeah, yeah, so almost a million more Scoville heat Oof. units <clears throat> from uh, Winthrop University is this guy, or a team at South Carolina's Winthrop University. There's a team. Just to give you an idea, jalapeno peppers are... Uh, Come in at about three to eight thousand Scoville heat units. Wow. So if you think jalapenos wow. are hot, this thing is what <clears throat> two two million more Scoville hot. Oh. Yeah, it's definitely too hot <clears throat> for me. Makes my belly burn thinking about it. Okay, so the founder of Pucker Butt Pepper Company. <laughs> this is that's the real name, Pucker Butt. Um, he's the creator of the Carolina Reaper, but his name is Ed Curry, which is kind of funny, <laughs> right? And uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. he unleashed it on uh, First We Feast <clears> on YouTube. <throat> so it's taken about 10 years of breeding to develop this super hot pepper. When, wow. When we started the cross, there were two peppers that I really loved the flavor of, but neither of them were going to be hot enough for my tastes. And uh, you can't buy the pods or the seeds commercially yet, but you know, they're going to re- start releasing Pepper X hot sauces. I don't know. Like the Carolina Reaper is pretty rough. Yeah, I haven't even tried that because I don't need to. But, but, you know, if you get a bottle of that, you know, open up a Tootsie Roll, put a couple drops on it, put it back in the wrapper, and give it to the kids for Halloween. <laughs> see what happens. Yeah, burn up some buttholes. Yeah, there. we actually don't condone that. that could, for some people, that could probably kill them. Yeah, for real. And speaking of people being killed by hot and spicy, can I segue there? <laughs> yeah, sure. Because of the story I have, mm. uh, teen's death leads to outpouring of concern over spicy chip challenge as sales oh, are halted. Oh, wow. You know, the packy where you can buy yeah. the one chip in the 
Or right. I guess a kid died uh, due to eating one of those. Wow. Like, it was too much for him. Wow. <laughs> yeah, and so Just they, like probably like send him into shock or something maybe? Let's see. The story, if I remember right, doesn't really say a whole lot. Um, sorry. thought I had it right there. Police say they were called to the home on September 1st, and uh, he was unresponsive and not breathing. Um, transported to a hospital where he was pronounced dead. Medical examiner's office said it will likely take weeks before Woloba's cause of death is determined. So, yep. Oh, wow. But they're wow. assuming it had something to do with the hotness of the chip. But Yeah, some people just can't take that. Right. I mean, and I think I remember somewhere in my reading of this this morning that there was somebody that had eaten like 44 of those things at the same time or something. And yeah, there's people on like YouTube <clears throat> channels that <clears throat> they'll just get all the, they'll get handfuls of Takis and then put like hot sauce on it and dip it in all sorts. They try to like up the heat of everything right. and then like eat it and like sit there and like film themselves not <laughs> dying or sweating from it, you know? <laughs> no, thank you, man. Yeah, That's a so. stomachache waiting to happen right there. Well, um, so we were at Spicy. We're going to go to the opposite of Spicy now because Chris and I have been talking about Utah a little bit today. Um, but in yeah, Utah. Utah's not spicy. Not spicy. The opposite of spicy. White Utah. Uh, this Utah town is uh, rallying around a pole dancing skeleton after the city officials have ordered the risque Halloween decoration to be taken down. So oh. it's like in front of this house in a neighborhood – on Elizabeth CV, I don't know what CV means. That's the name of the road. Hmm. Um, and they, the owners of the house right there, put a couple of skeletons with some money in their hands in lawn chairs out front of the street sign that they have another skeleton hanging upside down from, like it's pole dancing. Huh. I mean, that sounds pretty neat, right? actually. Um, Grantsville City, Utah, officials posted. Uh, a picture in the town's Facebook page earlier this week in the neighbor of a neighborhood Halloween decoration it wanted removed. Um, huh. The photo has since been deleted, and it shows a skeleton with purple wig twirling upside down around a street sign as two other skeleton figures watch from lawn chairs, one with its mouth wide open in shock. <laughs> uh, on the post, it says, You have until 9 p.m. tonight, October 18th, to take down your decorations or they will be removed by the city. Displays like this are not acceptable as it against city code to attach anything to a street sign. So that's how they're trying to get by with it. Right. right. Uh, the town then deleted its post about the skeleton. But uh, locals have voiced support for the sexy skeletal dancer. <laughs> yeah, I mean, come <clears> on. <throat> that's fun. That's good stuff. Um, <laughs> yeah, so the people of the town are really coming behind this guy, Christopher, Christopher Fujishin. And uh, they said he just moved. He complied with the order and just moved it into his front yard and put, put a pole in his yard and did the same and thing. And did the same thing. And now, yeah. he's gonna, now he's going to add lights, additional skeletons, and even music. So good for him. <laughs> now he's doubling down. Neighbors yeah. have donated decorations to make the display in his yard bigger, including adding a tip jar for the pole dancer <laughs> where fans can leave dollars. Um, he, Fujishin says uh, maybe it's a little risque for some people but it's all in the name of fun we look forward to keeping this going and getting a little more elaborate as we go yeah good for him yeah. make it the biggest most ridiculous one you can come up with every year yeah, make it bigger and bigger party poopers have made it worse than yeah. it ever would have been it's to just begin like with. a whole mm. town council is a <laughs> bunch of Karens like, so oh that's good but you know Utah is you know 
a dangerous, boring place. <clears throat> yeah, well, look I mean, up, look up crime rates in Utah and then yeah, Ogden, be amazed. Ogden, Utah is amazing. Yeah. Um, well, I've got a, another funny story, actually. Uh, right. There's a, a flight to Florida that had to return to Panama over a suspected bomb that turned out to be... What do you think it turned out to be? Oh, no. Hmm. A six-pack <laughs> right. of Red Bull. I don't know. Uh, good guess. Huh? Interesting guess. An adult diaper. Oh. Well, I mean, <laughs> I guess that depends on... <laughs> if they just had a bunch of that pepper sauce. Uh, that's great. Yeah, it says uh, the Boeing 737-800 landed around 11 a.m. local time and moved to an isolated stretch of the tarmac where 144 passengers were taken off the plane, Panama's Civil Aeronautics Authority said. Let's see. An anti-explosive team inspected the aircraft, and all they found was an adult diaper. <laughs> was so it full? Does it that, say? Does it, it didn't say? say if it was full or not. <laughs> So, yeah. you know, $600,000. <laughs> it's a really short story. <laughs> that's interesting, yeah. though, as to what would make them think that. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I guess it's like that's what I was up. hoping for in the story. That was in the bathroom, apparently, where it belongs. It's, I guess probably I mean, someone was I in there. I guess certain parts like... of the bathroom it belongs. I don't know if you walk into the bathroom, it's like hanging from the, the shower curtain <laughs> rod. Someone I mean, stuff it up somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> Under the sink. So I guess yeah. I could see how, like, Maybe you would think it was a bomb if it was stuffed somewhere where you're not supposed to yeah, have it. Yeah, I mean, like, I, know, I, I, a, I get it. They're, they're, they're a TV out of, bomb. Out of anyway. abundance of safety, that's why they do those things. So, I mean, I get it, but it's also... Kind of a funny story. The well, headline I, itself was enough to, to get me. So, yeah, that was a fun headline. <laughs> Our news is good this week. Yeah. Uh, you know, <laughs> since we're in October, uh, there's a... Uh, Excuse me. Plymouth State University in New Hampshire has one of the strangest and most mysterious traditions. And they've got these this old clock tower building that has like these two spires on the top. Two pointy spires. And every year, people have been putting pumpkins on those. Since the 70s, they've been doing this. So oh, they're climbing wow. up on the side of this building, which is doesn't look like a very easy feat. And it's also... It's probably like a 10-story building. <laughs> um... They the people behind the annual pumpkin placement is still like you know a lot of speculation and stuff, and how they do it is still like remain remains a mystery in this town. Huh. Um, just how they get up the website for the university says, uh, just how they get up there is a well guarded secret and conjuring the best if far fetched tale on how it happens is a favorite campus pastime. So yeah. I guess they just put them up there, and then they just rot away and right. fall off eventually. But yeah, I mean, there's uh, I'm sure you can find just a like they do on your it. front porch. <laughs> yeah, except you can't climb up there. I mean, this is like a bell tower or clock tower, and then like it goes up, and then the roof is like this old. It's an old university, right? right. So it's a pitched roof with like these metal, like copper spires that are you know even taller than. I mean, to get the pumpkin up there, you'd have to be standing on this like beam that's you know. Yeah, dangerous. A foot and a half wide <laughs> on top huh. of a 10-story building to put pumpkins up there. So. wonder how they get it up there. Anybody out there know? Well, it's New Hampshire. Somebody probably like just throws them up there. It's New Hampshire. Falls out of a falls out of an airplane and lands them on there for them. They don't give a shit up there. Oh, that's hilarious. I'm sure I could come up with a better idea than falling out of an airplane doing it. But I mean, it did cross my mind. I'm like, are they dropping it? But now that's you know, they, I mean, it. They, at this point, the university might put it there, use like a cherry picker 
Right. To, to yeah. just put them up there, you know. Just got to do it when no one sees it. Though, a bunch you know of college I mean? kids. Somebody's crazy enough every year to like just climb. I'll up keep there. doing it. <laughs> yeah. Tie I mean, me off. Well, yeah. Right. Somebody's just tied on and and they climb up there and do it. But yeah. So if you check them out. It's uh, you know, like I said, Plymouth, Plymouth State. Wow. Plymouth State. Yeah. Is that so, anywhere near a uh, Plymouth Rock? Probably. Somewhere isn't, near. Isn't there. there a boat crash there once upon a time? I don't know if it crashed. Anyway, <laughs> we should probably just shut up before we like ruin anything. <laughs> before we ruin it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, I've got a, a cannibal story. You know, I'm a little behind the times because we already did cannibals for okay. Oktoberthon. But um, there was a, a reckless driving suspect and uh, pulled over by the NYPD and the uh, suspect bit off the officer's finger. Oh, wow. <laughs> right? So, uh, Le- <clears throat> Lenny Rodriguez Cruz, 28, could be sentenced to 25 years in prison for leading police on a wild car chase, crashing into several vehicles, and biting a sergeant who was trying to put him in a holding cell. <clears throat> so, yeah, the episode started shortly before midnight on September 20th. A police officer patrolling in the Jamaica section of Queens spotted Cruz driving a car without license plates that weren't, or with license plates that weren't registered to the vehicle. The officer tried to pull him over, but he sped off and uh, mounted a sidewalk and drove through a park, scattering park covers as they ran to safety. So, yeah. Oh, like TV chase. Right, yeah, it was like a TV chase. Wow. Um, When officers finally pulled Rodriguez Cruz out of his crash car, his breath smelled of alcohol, his speech was slurred, and there was a cup containing an alcoholic beverage inside the car. (laughs) No way. Officers said uh, they took him to the local police station where he spit on the sergeant and bit the sergeant's fingertip off. Uh, (laughs) He just got drunk and made like the worst night of his life. Yeah, arraigned on charges of... um, uh, well, including assault on a police officer, driving under the influence of alcohol, and driving without a license. So, and maybe even like a stolen car or something if the plates don't match yeah, up. perhaps even a stolen car. Crazy. Pretty crazy. Yeah, that's a that's a crazy story. Chomp, there. chomp. But yeah, that one uh, missed out on our cannibal week. <clears throat> just by a week. Yeah, that's just all right. by a Go week. Go back and check it out. <laughs> yeah, that was a good episode. Yeah. Um, any of the October thons are really good. Actually, all of our episodes are right? the best. Yeah. Yeah, we do only the best episodes. Yep. yep. People are saying. <laughs> We've been getting calls all morning. That's right. Uh, <laughs> you want me to give, send me an email, I'll uh, send you Chris's phone number. You can hit him up. <laughs> yes, please do. Please. <laughs> hit we can, me we up can, We can put it out on the air if you want. It's 540 <clears throat> No, that's, <clears throat> that's all you get. We'll do it over like the next 20 episodes. We'll give out clues as to Chris's number. Chris's number, yeah. I mean, yeah. those of you out there who have it, feel free to share. <laughs> that's, yes, please. <laughs> Just kidding. You know. All I'm right. Kidding. So. You know who you are. Hey, did you find anything out? I am um, kind of. Okay. Kind of. I was um, struggling to uh, come up with something relevant to what we were going to be talking about this week. Yeah. So I've kind of got a. Uh, a list um, of its uh, 11 currently active serial killers, um, unsolved cases in 2023. Oh, wow. Yeah. So um, this is actually from March 31st, because the very first one on here was the Long Island serial killer. Okay. So that guy that was, they just... Yeah, that's the one they just caught. So this was this came out before they actually caught that guy this year. Um, there's uh, several on here that I hadn't heard of. Jeff Davis 8 Killers. Between 2005 and 2009, the bodies of eight women between the ages of 17 and 30 were found dumped in the swamps of Jefferson Davis Parish near Jennings, Louisiana. Um, Victims had several things in common. 
Um, several of them knew each other, one pair of victims even being cousins. Perhaps more bizarrely was that all of the victims acted as police informants, several of whom actually reported on other Jeff Davis victims before their own murders. So definitely mm-hmm. sounds like, I mean, definitely serial killing, but perhaps more to do with whatever was going on there, you know what yeah, I mean, yeah. that they're talking I to mean, each other I mean, witnesses start yeah. disappearing. Right, like one person you know, gets They kind of start narrowing down the suspects right. a little bit more. So, yeah, but that's one, uh, you know, currently unsolved. Uh, there's the West, Mes- West Mesa Bone Collector. Um, in February 2009, a woman out for a walk with her dog discovered what she believed to be human bones on a mesa near Albuquerque, New Mexico. Police soon investigated into their shock. They subsequently discovered the remains of 11 women in total along with the same, along the same stretch of land. The women ranged between ages 15 and 32 and were all involved in the sex trade. Most of them um, were of a Hispanic descent and one of the women was pregnant. Um, while the remain, <clears throat> case remains unsolved, police do have two major suspects. So, yeah, I hadn't heard about that either. I'm not going to read all of them. I don't know if they need to start here. giving these guys names like that. Right, <clears throat> yeah. Because they, they're almost always guys. They they are almost always women. Uh, I was going to say women. Women, they're, yeah. Yeah, uh, men. But men killing women, too, for that matter. Not always. But, right. Um, there was one on here. The Ibadan Forest Serial Killers. While we're on the subject of this one's overseas, in Nigeria, there's a place known as the Ibadan Forest of Horror, or the Evil Forest. Back in 2014, a curious motorcyclist made his way into the Soka Forest in Ibadan, Oyo State, Nigeria. I'm probably not doing that right but uh and what he found was like something from an hp lovecraft story he found a small colonized area of decrepit buildings and inside there were over 20 rotten corpses and some severed human skulls and most terrifyingly 10 live people chained to slaughter benches oh my god yeah other terrifying (laughs) right other buildings had piles of clothes, boots, and passports inside them. Police have attempted to trace the owners of the passports, but have been unable to find them. That is like some freaking hostile shit there. Uh, you know, that's, that's horror that's movie totally stuff. That's totally movie stuff. Yeah, yeah, that's craziness. Wow. So um, exactly who might be responsible for such horrors is still unconfirmed, but rumors state that the place may have been a den for religious zealots to indulge in ritual sacrifice and flesh eating. Jeez. So, yeah. So I'll um, I'll stop there with uh, that list. That list is uh, pretty interesting. But uh, that those were some of the ones that I was like, well, a lot of the list I had never heard a, <laughs> any kind of story about any of these. Yeah, like, I mean, huh. it's... and there's one I haven't read about yet, but I'll just uh, look it up if you want. It's called the Vending Machine Killer. So Lord knows I haven't read that. Well, that yet, might be so, something uh, for later. You never know. <laughs> right? Yes, yeah, so we might have to look that one up later. And, go more into it but there's uh, uh still yeah. still out there and crazier than ever definitely um yeah because i hey i just found out i found <laughs> this out i missed messed it up this time guess anyway. what i just learned <laughs> yeah um so i i went with serial code but i just kind of got some broad information and on some of these yeah, things. Yeah, we both kind of did the same um, thing 70% <laughs> of all known serial killers come from america Oh wow! Yeah, is it an Americana thing? I think it serial seems to killing? be. It seems to be. Yeah. Um, this says also that serial killings, serial killer killings in California are one of the highest numbers in the U.S. But <laughs> they said that Alaska has actually got more. It's just that they have less people. So, oh right. But even um, so, that's... like we we there's we did a crackers where we talked about serial killers. Mm-hmm. Um, just kind of like a broad state by state thing yeah we did talk about some of those um numbers. but california 
is has 1,682 serial killer killings. Wow, which I mean, it is what the second largest or most populous. <laughs> it's, I think both it's largest most, yeah. and most populous. Yeah. Um, since the 80s, just the 80s, how many think there? How many unsolved serial killer murders do you think there are in the United States oh, since, since the, 80s? the 80s? It doesn't have a specific year, but. Oh, how many Lord. unsolved? I'm going to be so far off on this one, but let's say uh, five thousand. You're really far off because it's this says it's two hundred twenty-two thousand. See, I was going to go real high. That's yeah. crazy. Yeah. Two hundred twenty-two thousand. Um, and this also says, and I don't know if this is a hundred percent. It's on facts.net, so you know it's got to so be gotta true. It's got to be true, right? It's on the internet, right? <laughs> I always believe what you read on the internet. I yeah. think Abraham Lincoln said that. He did. He did. Um, Just before he fell off of that train and died. Right. When he's trying to rob it. <laughs> and that's a throwback, yeah. too. Um, uh, in your lifetime, you can walk past uh, as many as 36 serial killers in your lifetime. Just walk. I mean, you know, just on statistics, you know. Try not to think about those kinds of things, you know. Like, anybody's a victim. Right. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, they definitely, they all have their own kind of things, because there's four types. Or do all serial killers know that they're a serial killer? You know, maybe it's just dormant. Well, I mean, that <laughs> one thing that said, what is it, the um, FBI says that uh, only 1% of all committed murders in the United States are serial killings. Um, and the FBI defines a serial killer as a person who committed at least two separate murders, which seems really low and also like i don't consider somebody that like goes into a house and kills two people i don't consider right. that that's not a, a serial, serial killer yes. if he does that eight times or two times even right then sure yeah because you got to have a serialized aspect to it right yeah. um according to fbi statistics statistics in the united states every year there are roughly fifteen thousand murders and that means, based on their percentage of serial killers, uh, approximately 150 serial murders in the United States each year. Wow. Which makes me think that that other number might be a little off. Yeah. <clears throat> 150 from the 80s every year, that doesn't leave 200. Oh, well, yeah, maybe. It's just unsolved. <laughs> Whatever. Right. Math. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but there's four types of serial killers, right? So you got mission-oriented. You know, I'm doing this because oh, right. I'm trying to get rid of this or there's an agenda visionary. You know, I'm going to do this for this outcome. Right. You know, like control oriented, perhaps. you know, what's that? A race war, perhaps, perhaps. But I mean, like genocides and stuff are different than serial killers. Well, I was too. thinking more like, of the Charles Manson. Uh, oh, yeah. yeah. He was trying yeah, to start right. a race war. But, um, control oriented. So that's like. Right. You know, you want to be in control of other people or, you know, your own emotions or whatever. Mm -hmm. And then hedonistic. And I'm not exactly sure what hedonistic. Hedonistic guy of killing for the sake of killing, I would think. Yeah. So those are the four types. So those are, that's, hey, I just found this out. <laughs> you had me for a second. Guess what I just learned? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so. Hey, I just found this out. Yeah. That's our new segment that we're still working on. Trying yeah, to... we're still ironing out. It's fun, though. We, uh, we've we had some uh, some listeners send us some fun, hey, I just found this out stories. So, uh, That's right. So, yeah, sorry we're not sharing. And uh, but, thanks you know. for, uh, if, if I knew how to work the internet better, <laughs> I, I would share. Because one of our uh, listeners sent us a, a uh, moose poop 
video that they found of somebody doing arts and right. crafts and that's moose poop. Kind of what I was thinking. We talked of, about actually. giraffe poop a couple right. episodes back. So <laughs> it was it was excellent. That was a wonderful video. Hilarious. Thank we you very it. much. Yeah, poop people and stuff. You know, <laughs> I'll figure out how to share it and put it out there. So yeah, you anyways, can do it. I believe you I'm do. sure I can figure it out. Yeah. I'm just you can do it. Hit that little share button. That's right. Or that little share icon. Nothing is yeah. a button anymore. It's just pictures. <laughs> That's of right. Things that you don't know what they are. Okay, this week we're talking about <laughs> electronics and how much they've gotten gone past us and how we're like just a step below boomers. Well, actually, as long as we're talking about, hey, I just found this out. I did just find out this week that my playlists on Spotify were all public until I chose to make them private. And like, what the hell kind of backwards crap is that? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't. I understand making it public. That all makes sense to me. But why is that the default? It should be the other way around. Yeah, because yeah. I thought I was making these playlists that you know nobody else could see. But sure, That's, you just had to go look at them. Like when uh, Ted Cruz accidentally <laughs> shared that milf porn <laughs> right. on Twitter. It's something. He's like, like I didn't that. know. <laughs> right, something like that. <laughs> so if you follow Chris's uh, Twitter, you might see some. <laughs> movies that come up too besides his playlist yeah chris doesn't have a twitter he just has a spotify apparently (laughs) yeah everybody knows about that one god who doesn't know about that one (laughs) it took me quite a while and then it just kind of had to be like i had to be prodded in that direction by somebody a letter had to be typed on a typewriter and mailed (laughs) to chris yeah i wasn't gonna find it out on my own that's for sure (laughs) all right that's our uh, that's our this week in electronics yeah that might be a new segment actually (laughs) i don't know Uh, hey we're just a step below boomer (laughs) or like those commercials uh you know how not to become like your parents you seen those commercials oh the guy the uh, the insurance yeah the guy the (laughs) what you call it the elevator talking about like going up (laughs) yeah that oh those are what stupid wonderful commercials they are anyway anyways we got off topic we know that as usual I know that our charm. people have problems with that. And let's tell you about those people right now. <laughs> no. Um, so, yeah, I guess this week is uh, Chris is going to go first. Yeah. And, um, yeah, I am. I, He's uh, been teasing me with this one. He's just been tickling my... I have been talking about it quite my a bit, ring which a little is weird. Bit. I guess I had to go over it a lot of times in my head to get the whole... Because this guy committed a lot of crimes, not just killing people. But he went on a spree, which oh. is different than a lot of serial killers we were just talking about. But okay. his kind of came out in one big spurt, and he went on a spree of like uh, crime, some of it right. involving murdering. But uh, <clears throat> his name was Randall Brent Woodfield. You ever heard of him? The I-5 killer? No. Yeah. I'd, I'd heard of the I-5 killer, but never even looked into it. But yeah, he was... Um, in the 70s, like all the serial killers. Let's see. This is from Wikipedia, though. An American serial killer, serial rapist, kidnapper, robber, burglar, and former football player who was dubbed the I-5 killer or the I-5 bandit by the media due to the crimes he committed along the Interstate 5 corridor running through Washington, Oregon, and California. Surprise, surprise. Seems like they go to the Pacific Northwest to murder. And lots of trees. Lots of trees. It's the trees' fault. You can just blame it on Bigfoot. <laughs> blame it on the trees. 
Sorry, couldn't there you help go. myself. Keep going. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Before his capture, Woodfield was suspected of multiple sexual assaults and murders. Though convicted in only one murder, he has been linked to a total of 11 and is suspected of having killed up to as many as 44. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, uh, early years, he was um, first arrested in high school for indecent exposure. So, this is where he gets started. His big thing early on, before he was, like, robbing people and basically raping and murdering, was, uh, you know, indecent exposure. He would show himself, and he got in trouble quite a bit. This is as a kid, right? This was uh, this was in high school, yeah, yeah but it goes on into college. Um, He's probably assaulted at some point as a child. Yeah, they didn't much get into it. Um, <clears throat> I mean, there was a little bit about his family and stuff, but there was very little about his early life, even though he's fairly well-known. I mean, it's out there, the information. You know, it's not like yeah. he was hiding or anything. But, yeah, something was going on, <laughs> for sure. But um, from a Sports Illustrated article, actually, I, this is a very good article, just called The I-5 Killer. So they're not all that um, creative over there at the uh, Well, at that the might SI. have been where he got the name. <laughs> from the article yeah maybe. yeah it was oh look it was written before he was killing no <laughs> but uh outwardly woodfield appeared to be the portrait of normal but in high school he was caught standing on a bridge and exposing himself to females his parents sent him to a therapist who by all accounts was not overly concerned by a teenager's exploring his sexuality according to law officials newport high's coaches knew about the situation he was a, a football player football star sorry i forgot to say that in uh, high school newport high's coaches knew about the situation but wanting to protect their star chalked it up to an adolescent's lapse in impulse control police's police say that when woodfield turned 18 his juvenile record was expunged so and your first red flag is like all right whatever i think like, you could have just shorten that sentence to say our story starts with a, a young man standing on a bridge waving his dick <laughs> right right wow amazing that's a great but, start yeah and he went on to play for the the green bay packers that's the next part of the story so yeah, wow he was actually drafted was that that yeah. was his uh combine was just waving his <laughs> right. dick on the bridge yeah. yeah yeah well it seems like to me um in doing the the research it seems that when he got cut from the team which he does get cut he uh kind of his rampage starts soon after <laughs> okay and so like I, I think he had trouble dealing with rejection Right, uh, kind yeah, of like yeah. the, quote, going postal type of thing. Essentially, yeah, yeah. All so right. um, from Wikipedia, this is just covering some of the uh, college and football uh, years. After graduating from high school, Woodfield's criminal record was expunged. He attended Treasure Valley Community College in Ontario, Oregon, later transferring to Portland State University. Um, that was in 1970. He played for Portland State Vikings as a wide receiver. At Portland State, he was active in Campus Crusade for Christ, an evangelical Christian student group, and lived in an apartment located on the South Park blocks. Gary Hamblett, Woodfield's football coach, recalled, When he was with me, he was the nicest, most gentlemanly kid I ever knew. He was quiet and polite, hardworking, and real coachable. That's my football That was actually, voice. we just put that clip in from YouTube of the guy saying that. <laughs> right. Other in case you thought that was Chris. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't me at all. Other teammates and peers of Woodfield recalled him as soft-spoken and kind of a loner who didn't have a lot of friends, but noted his athleticism. Despite his thriving in college, Woodfield was arrested on several occasions for petty crimes. First, in 1970, for vandalizing the apartment of his ex-girlfriend, and later in 1972 for public indecency in Vancouver, Washington. In 1973, he was arrested again for public indecency in Multnomah County, Oregon. And I put again next to that in my notes, because I'm like, well, you know. 
A he, lot likes of, to, he doesn't like to wear pants. Doesn't like to wear pants. And all of these are kind of red flags for a guy who just keeps doing the same kind of shit. I wonder why they just don't call him the dick out killer. <laughs> the dick out killer. Yeah, well, they didn't know who it was at first. So oh, they, okay. I guess they didn't know all about the dick being out. Until, yeah, once you uh, give him the name, you can't like go right, back and like yeah, retroactive. It's got like, to be the dick out killer. <laughs> nope, we already know him as this. So he chose to drop out of college three semesters shy of graduating, and um, he was getting his bachelor in physical education. He was selected as a wide receiver in the 1974 NFL draft by the Green Bay Packers in the 17th round. So he was the 428th pick. Wow. Yeah. They don't even go that far anymore. <clears throat> I was thinking that seemed pretty damn high. But, I think yeah. it's like the 200s is now the... Yeah, I think you're right. Huh. But, um, wow. So back to the uh, Sports Illustrated article. Uh, these may not have been the dynastic Packers who won the two super, first two Super Bowls, but this was still a celebrated franchise. Woodfield was offered a one-year contract to serve as a, quote, skilled football player for $16,000. How about that? Wow. The deal came laden with bonuses, an extra 2000 if he caught 25 passes that fall, 3000 if he caught 30. Here's what you need to keep in mind about those figures, says Bob Harlan, who was assistant GM handled who as assistant GM handled the team's contracts that year. When Bart Starr made $100,000, people thought he was overpaid. <laughs> Which in those days, I mean, he was, was making that's a lot of money three times thing. more than anyone else. Yeah, wow. <laughs> yeah, Woodfield's contract also stipulated that he keep himself in peak condition, avoid consorting with gamblers, and wear a coat and necktie in public places. Wow, how things have changed. But Like, these are stipulated in his contract. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he signed almost immediately. The money enabled him to quit his job at a Portland-area burger chef. But beyond that, this was all validation. He was on the verge of playing in the NFL. Everyone made such a big thing when he was drafted one of wood wood <laughs> one of woodfield's roommates told the or- oregonian made me stutter he put a lot of pressure on himself to make it big his bio in the packers media guide listed him at six feet 170 pounds and assessed him as follows just a little bit smaller than uh somebody else we know we won't say his name on our show but <laughs> someone who lies about their height and weight yeah <clears throat> same size <clears throat> Woodfield tried to establish himself with the Packers, but could not shake his problems with a trip across the country. He signed a contract in February 1974, but was cut during training camp, failing to make the team's final roster. After being cut, Woodfield played the uh, 1974 season with a semi-pro team, the Manitowoc Chiefs, and worked for Oshkosh Truck. Um, Pause at this point. Pause to point out the irony that Manitowoc, the 24th largest city in Wisconsin, here we are in Wisconsin again, would be the setting for the acclaimed 2015 Netflix documentary, Making a Murderer. While he would have preferred to spend his Sundays at Lambeau, Woodfield reckoned that playing on Saturdays nearby for the Chiefs, the Manitowoc Chiefs, that is, maybe Packers execs would notice him and reconsider their decision. Teammates from that stop recall Woodfield as a smooth operator, a ladies' man, and a bit strange. Fred Auclair, a teammate and roommate, recalls Woodfield bringing home a trinket he had acquired at a local Christian bookstore. How much was that, Auclair inquired. Well, said Woodfield, it wasn't really for sale, so I stole it. Woodfield adds, uh, <clears throat> Woodfield adds, Alclair was on the phone all the time telling tall tales. He had a woman in every port, it seemed. After the conclusion of that season, um, he, uh, Woodfield would go back to Oregon and his crime spree would begin. <clears throat> well, I guess if you consider, if you count dangling his dick out and stealing, then he's already got his crime spree started. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's true. Yeah. I guess, uh, his, um, the crimes that would, basically end up sending him to prison maybe maybe yeah. out there if like he uh 
if you do that on a bridge, maybe like there's some sort of like loophole that that's not a crime. Right. Well, and back then they were just treating it as if whatever. He just likes to, you know, wiggle his willy. Yeah, at and everybody, every now and everybody then. was already like chugging beer while they were driving down the road anyway. So <laughs> right. what do they might care for? Yeah, it's like look at that crazy guy. <laughs> yeah, have another. So, um, <laughs> yeah. moving on, October 9th, 1980, Sherry Lynn Ayers, an, ex- an X-ray technician and former classmate of Woodfield, was raped and murdered in her apartment in downtown Portland. Her body was discovered on October 11th by her fiancé. She had been bludgeoned and stabbed repeatedly in the neck. Ayers, a University of Oregon graduate, had known um, Woodfield since second grade, having attended the same schools in Newport. During Woodfield's prior four-year imprisonment, he had gotten uh, put in prison, see this kind of skipped ahead and i thought i'd fix my notes on that he had gotten put in prison for a lot of crime burglaries and things like that during woodfield's prior four-year imprisonment he and Ayers had corresponded via letters suspecting woodfield's involvement in sherry lynn's murder Ayers' family provided his name to law enforcement he was questioned but refused to sit for a polygraph test homicide detectives found his answers generally evasive and deceptive but because his blood type did not match semen found in the victim's body no charges were filed one month later on the morning of November 27th, Woodfield arrived at the North Portland home of Darcy Renee Fix, planning to assault her. Woodfield had known her during college as an ex-girlfriend of one of his close friends. Douglas Keith Altick was also there when Woodfield arrived. Both Fix and Altick were subsequently bound and shot to death execution style in the home, and uh, the revolver was uh, missing from the scene. Fix's 32 revolver was missing to- from the scene. Because of his acquaintance with Fix, Woodfield was questioned about the murders, but law enforcement found no concrete evidence pointing to his involvement. So, Hmm. getting away with this shit, basically. Wow. (laughs) Like, they know it's him, but they can't prove it. It's essentially where they're at. The tough part with some of them, yeah. Yeah. And so he uh, now is going to begin another string of uh, robberies, and this is where he gets uh, he gets the name I-5 Bandit before he gets the name I-5 Killer. Okay. So um, after committing all those murders, Woodfield began a series of robberies throughout the Pacific Northwest. On December 9th, wearing a fake beard, he held up a Vancouver, Washington gas station at gunpoint. In Eugene, Oregon, four nights later, on December 13th, he raided an ice cream parlor. On December 14th, he robbed a drive-in restaurant in Albany. During one of the robberies, Woodfield wore what appeared to be a band-aid or athletic tape across the bridge of his nose, similar to nasal strips worn by football players. On December 21st, Woodfield, again wearing a false beard, accosted a waitress in Seattle, trapping her in a restaurant bathroom and forcing her at gunpoint to masturbate him. By January 1981, law enforcement had dubbed the robber the I-5 Bandit, giving his apparent preference for committing crimes along the Interstate 5 corridor. On January 8th, he held up the same Vancouver gas station he had robbed in December, this time forcing a female attendant to expose her breasts after he emptied the cash register. Three days later, on January 11th, he robbed a market in Eugene. The next day, he shot and wounded a female grocery clerk at a store in Sutherland, Oregon. So he's just going crazy. <laughs> wow, yeah. <laughs> yeah. On January 14th, a man matching the description of the I-5 this bandit... This all like and, in a month, right? Yeah, yeah it's wow. all, well, in a couple months, he did the first murders in October and then it took a month before he murdered somebody and then yeah like another month and he was like all right I'm just gonna go on the road take this show on the road um wearing a false beard and I thought someone looking like the I-5 bandit and wearing a false beard invaded a home occupied by two sisters age eight and ten he ordered the girls to undress and sexually assaulted them four days later in Salem a man matching the same description entered an office building and sexually abused two women Sherry Hull and Beth Wilmot after which he killed Hull and wounded Wilmot leaving her for dead 
On January 26th and 29th, he traveled to southern Oregon and committed robberies in Eugene, Medford, and Grants Pass. In the latter location, two females, a clerk and customer, were assaulted by the robber. <clears throat> so they call this the later murders, but it's really he waits till February. Then he starts killing again. February 3rd, the bodies of Donna Eckerd and her 14-year-old daughter Janelle Charlotte were found together in a bed at their home at Mountain Gate, California, north of Reading. Um, each had been shot several times in the head. Forensic tests show that the girl had also been sexually assaulted. The same day in Reading, a female store clerk was kidnapped and raped in a holdup. An identical crime was reported in Eureka, California on February 4th with the same man robbing an Ashland, Oregon motel that night. Five days later in Corvallis, a man matching the I-5 bandit's description held up a fabric store. Interesting robbery. Molesting the clerk and her customer before he left. I <laughs> Give guess me all your yarn. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's like that movie Bottle Rocket where they rob the bookstore and the guy that they're robbing is like, you guys are robbing a bookstore. <laughs> There's no money here. <laughs> like they right. get out of there with like 500 bucks or so. <laughs> and, and they're celebrating. Anyway, <laughs> on February 12th, 1981, robberies committed by a man matching the I-5 bandit's description occurred in Vancouver, Olympia, and Bellevue, Washington. <clears throat> the Olympia and Bellevue incidents included three sexual assaults. Um, upon an impending visit to Portland, Woodfield had planned a Valentine's Day party at the city's downtown Marriott Hotel. So he's doing all this shit, and he's still like living a life <laughs> because they can't really. I don't know how these they don't know have it's time him. for this right. shit. He's invited uh, all these friends and acquaintances from college, and nobody showed up. So Woodfield drove to the Beaverton home of 18-year-old Julie Rates, whom he had met while working as a bouncer at the Fawcett, a bar in Portland. He arrived at her home around 2 a.m. and on February. I'm sorry, on February 15th, and then around 4, he raped and shot her in the head, killing her. Police investigated the scene, investigating the scene determined that Rates had had a glass of wine with her attacker and had also begun to prepare coffee. A package of instant coffee was discovered on the kitchen counter, and water in a kettle had been left to completely boil away. So that's kind of creepy, too. Wow, yeah. By February 28th, the investigation was now focused on Woodfield, so they had decided that, you know, all of these things are being done by Woodfield, the guy who we suspected all along, basically. But by then, the I-5 bandit had struck three more times, in Eugene on February 18th and 21st, and with another sexual assault in Corvallis on February 25th. Detectives in Marion County assembled a call log showing Woodfield had placed calls via calling cards at payphones near the murder sites around the times they were committed. On March 5th, 1981, Woodfield was brought into the the Salem Police Department for an interrogation after Lisa Garcia, and I s- left her name in here because this is the only time in the whole uh, article that they call her Lisa Garcia, and who they meant is uh, Beth Wilmot, who was with Sherry Hull, the two, okay. they're the two ladies he killed uh, in the um, in the hotel, so. Um, Beth Wilmot positively identified him. She's the one he left for dead, basically, but she lived. So she positively identifies him in a photo lineup. His apartment in Springfield, Oregon, was subsequently searched two days later by warrant. Inside, law enforcement discovered a spent thirty-two shell casing inside a racquetball bag, as well as a roll of tape that matched the tape found on the victims. On March 7th, Woodfield was taken into custody after being positively identified by several Oregon robbery victims. On March 16th, indictment for murder, rape, sodomy, attempted kidnapping, armed robbery, and illegal possession of firearms were initiated from various jurisdictions in Washington and Oregon. 
In the summer of 1981, Woodfield was tried in Salem for the murder of Sherry Hull, as well as charges of sodomy and attempted murder of Beth Wilmot. Wilmot testified against him in the trial and was the key in the prosecution's conviction. Chris Van Dyke, son of actor Dick Van Dyke, was the Marion County, Dis- Marion County District Attorney at the time and prosecuted the case. He would say that Woodfield was the coldest, most detached defendant I've ever seen. On uh, June 26, 81, after three and a half hours of deliberation, Woodfield was convicted on all counts and sentenced to life in prison plus 90 years. So, yeah, he's still in prison, still alive. In October 1981, a second trial was held in Benton County, Oregon, in which Woodfield received sodomy and weapons charges tied to one of the attacks in restaurant bathroom. Prior to this trial, his counsel attempted to move the trial from Willamette Valley. He felt that owing... He felt that owing to the publicity the case received, Woodfield would not get a fair trial there. Probably true, but we all know you did it, too. So. <laughs> yeah, I mean, sometimes, like, fair trials, I mean, you, you totally expect a fair trial. Well, but, yeah, I mean, I mean, it is in the Constitution. Right, but, but yeah. sometimes it's like, well, I mean, the, the facts are what they are. Right. Like, and the judge did deny the counsel's request, but um, the judge also denied a request to hypnotize a prosecution witness in an effort to determine if that witness had been influenced by the media coverage. Woodfield was convicted by the jury and had an additional 35 years added to his already instated sentence. Um, Despite the apparent links with countless other crimes and homicides, Woodfield would not be prosecuted for the majority of the the crimes he he was believed to have committed. Unable to afford multiple trials, the state of Oregon was satisfied with Woodfield's existing life sentence. So, so he yeah. has one life sentence plus like thirty some years. Yeah, he has one life sentence plus ninety years plus thirty five years. So, so he's yeah. not getting out. He's not getting out. He's uh, serving his sentence at the uh, Oregon State Penitentiary in Salem. In April nineteen eighty seven, he filed a twelve million dollar libel suit against author Anne Rule, the author who had written the I Five Killer, an account of Woodfield's life and crime spree. The federal court in Oregon dismissed the lawsuit in January 88, citing that the statute of limitations on such a lawsuit had expired. By 1990, after the discovery of more victims, Woodfield was suspected in as many as 44 homicides. In 01 and 06, DNA testing linked Woodfield to two additional murders in Oregon that occurred from 1980 and 1981. Woodfield, uh, while in the penitentiary, has married three times and divorced twice. Weren't we just talking about... Were we talking about uh, people getting married in prison on here? Not on here, I don't think. Maybe. Maybe. maybe, I don't, yeah, maybe we weren't recording. But isn't that crazy? Some letters he wrote from prison were sold. Three different times. Yeah. Like, not only are you getting married, you're getting divorced. Like, Like how bad can your relationship be (laughs) if you only see each other like three hours a month? Right. And you're still like, we can't do this. This Uh, is too much. Maybe their families forced them to. Well, they might be family. Could be an insurance thing or something. Right. Some letters he wrote from prison were sold online as a collection titled The Serial Killer Letters and published by the Charles Press. In one of these letters, he wrote to journalist Jennifer Furio, quote, You only care to know why murderers strike out in anger or rage. Why should I know? What a question, Jenny. Care to write more personally? Share a photo? Talk once by phone? Your choice. Ciao, Randall Woodfield. And then they got, and it's his third wife. <laughs> right. Ciao. She's like, oh, that's charming. I'll marry him. <clears throat> <laughs> yeah, here we're going to skip over. Uh, wow. It is weird that he would also wear the athletic tape across his nose because a lot of the later robberies and. Oh, he yeah, always he wore was, it. Yeah, he was wearing it like most of the time. Well, that way he like, could like, yeah. breathe better. Right. Like not Maybe. whistling it out. Or... But it kind of makes you think, too, that it was really he was so butthurt over. Uh, Never the whole football career tanking. Maybe. That, uh, you know, because he, he was already kind of a dude that was going to 
waggle his willy or whatever I said at everybody. But then things happened, and he, you know, didn't take much to push this guy to that serial killer that lives inside of all of us, I guess. I guess. Let's see. Let me get down here. I don't know if I should be in the room with you after that statement. (laughs) Well, I was joking. Anyway. Uh Uh-huh. Uh, Woodfield never confessed to any of the murders of which he has been accused or linked to. Though convicted only in the murder of Sherry Hull, Woodfield has been linked to numerous other murders via DNA. He's, um, yeah, I've already told you that. He has 11 confirmed victims overall. Seven were murdered, four survived. So he's only been convicted for one, but there are confirmed that he, Right, and it's just, they don't, it's not worth the effort of putting a trial on. Exactly, yeah. You got him, he can't get out, yeah. Yeah. So uh, there were several other murders that, uh, you know, that they thought it was either him or Ted Bundy at the time because they were kind of overlapping there in the 70s for right. a little bit. Okay. They were like, you know, a lot of unsolved ones came out and it wasn't Ted Bundy or him. There were other serial killers involved in those killings. But So, yeah, there was a whole other, like, thing in the Wikipedia article that I'm not going to cover here, but there was a whole lot of... Uh, back and forth in drama over like people he could have killed but were later found out that it wasn't even him or ted bundy it was someone else entirely and that was more than once that that had happened yeah um the uh sports illustrated article had a little interesting thing about serial killers so i'm just going to read a couple more paragraphs and i am done here but um sound like the doctor i think we're almost done with you here buddy Pull down your pants. <laughs> Pick a country and you likely can find a citizen who has killed ritualistically and repeatedly. Consider the phrase run amok, which derives from a Malay word translated loosely as to attack with homicidal mania. Believing that amok was caused by an evil spirit, Indonesian culture tolerated these violent outbursts and dealt with the after effects with no ill will toward the assailant. The underlying premise, the capacity to kill indiscriminately dwells in all of us. How about that? I just said that. Most people just suppress the urge or avoid the spirit. Still, the serial killer occupies a singular role in the cast of Americana. Here he, and the vast majority have been male, has been hyperbolized and fetishized, even romanticized. Serial killers are responsible for only a small fraction of the murders committed in the U.S., but they are some of the most notorious figures in our history and culture. Says Sarah Weinemann, who runs the newsletter The Crime Lady, Serial killing is twisted fantasy that has roots in the wide-open American landscape, where it is all too easy to hunt and kill without detection and with impunity. It was in the 1970s that agents Robert Ressler and John Douglas of the FBI's Behavioral Science Unit coined and defined the term serial killer, distinguishing one from a mass murderer who may kill many at once, or a spree killer who lacks a so-called cooling-off period between murders. Indeed, the 70s marked the crimson-stained height of serial killing in the U.S. In that era, there were a number of factors working in the assailant's favor, from lax gun laws to the popularity of psychedelic drugs to the sprawling interstate highway system to cheap gas. And from the dearth of surveillance technology technology to the spotty coordination among police precincts, it may never have been easier to avoid getting caught. No shit, they even knew who Robert Woodfield was, and, and they weren't catching Yeah, I mean, back then it was so easy. I mean, yeah. up until recently, it was easy to like do something in a town and just Go never away. be at that town again. Right. Nobody ever... No one ever knew you were there. They could be like, well, we know that guy did it, but we don't know where he went, who he right. was. 
Yeah, and he was wearing tape on his nose. Woodfield wasn't the only sociopath terrorizing the West Coast around that time. Ted Bundy's killing orgy in the Northwest is believed to have is believed to have begun in '74. His first eight known victims slain in either Oregon or Washington, and roughly concurrent with the I-5 killer, Gary Ridge, Ridgeway had begun committing ritualized murder in Seattle, mostly targeting young women. It would take 20 years before he was caught, but immediately he was known as the Green River Killer, a nod to the waterway where his first five known victims were found. <clears throat> so uh what accounts for our captivation warped as it might be with serial killers evolutionary biologists have pointed out that as a species we are hardwired to run away from predators in a way that we don't reflexively run away from sunbathing or eating bacon or other potential causes of death so the serial killer triggers fear and a visceral reaction rooted in the most basic human nature Others cite the stirring exploration of the darkest corners of humanity. Serial killers may commit acts of unadulterated evil, but they are also figures that generate at least a teensy measure of titillation, sometimes even affection. In a perverse way, you sometimes end up rooting for these guys, says Skip Hollinsworth, a true crime writer whose latest book, The Midnight Assassin, focuses on a series of unsolved murders in 1880s Austin. He says, The reason we love to watch wide receivers is because they are so elusive. They run a particularly designed route, hoping to wriggle free and catch it catch a pass despite a defense stacked against them it's the same reason we are fascinated with serial killers they come up with a particularly designed killing route carry out the kill and then make their escape <clears throat> eluding the cops and crime scene crime scene technicians only to do it all again after taking a breather so yeah and they sometimes are the same job and sometimes they're the same job wow. so yeah yep yep that's uh Wood Robert Woodfield. Woodfield. Yeah. Robert Woodfield, the I the I five killer. killer. Yeah. The I5 Previously killer. known as the I five bandit. Yeah. Yeah. It started out as the I five bandit, and then they were like, "Wait, this is the same guy that's killing people, and raping people, and kidnapping people, and wearing tape on his nose, and a fake beard, huh? <laughs> and flashing his wheelie, yeah, and, and just standing on bridges with his dick out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. I wonder if he had a fake beard on his dick. <laughs> <laughs> right. Sorry, we've yeah, said a little dick smiley a lot face this episode. Yep. But. but his name was Robert. Oh wait, no. So, yeah, Robert Woodfield, high five killer. <laughs> I thought, at first, I thought you just said the high five killer. Well, there'll probably be one of those <laughs> one day. There might be one. Yeah. That's all on Instagram or something yep. right now. So yeah, awesome. I mean, kind of. Well, I mean, he's caught. He's not, never getting out. He is caught and never getting out. Yeah, and you look thankfully, at, with like DNA, then some more families are getting like the closure. He is one of those. When you look at his prison pictures now, it's like, well, that guy doesn't look like that guy. Do they ever? <laughs> no, no. I mean, Ted Bundy at least had some creepiness to him. Yeah, but he know? also like, had like that charisma true, to him. Like, like if I you mean, didn't know he had killed How many people? of them are like even like brash enough to be like, I'm going to defend myself in court? <laughs> You know, and then be right. like, does my voice sound familiar to like all sorts of creepy shit, you know? <clears throat> yeah, yeah, just full of himself. Um, yeah. yeah. Well, as we talked about, like a lot of them are American and I found some that weren't. Yeah, yeah, those are some, somehow creepier and, and more interesting. Creepier um, for sure. Because mine is, uh, well, Snowtown, Snowtown Murders. Oh, I've heard of the Snowtown Murders. There's, um, uh, Australia? Uh, yeah. Yep. It's uh, also known as the bodies in the barrel or the barrels in the bank. Oh, okay. Okay, so... Uh, I think... Eh, <clears throat> I, I can't wait to hear It's like, I think I know this story, but... There I, is like, a movie I'll tell you about later. And I might have seen that. But that's, yeah. I couldn't find it. Okay. Um, I mean, I could, but I wasn't going to rent it for like eight ninety nine. It on used like, to be free on Prime, I think. 
Yeah, well, I couldn't find it right. Yeah, I mean, it's probably one that just circles around, but it's called Snowtown, and it's based on this. Um, So, it's May 20th, 1999. It's a small rural town, about 93 93 miles north of Adelaide, Australia. Uh, In the vault of a disused bank, uh, police went in and found six barrels. All right, so in these six barrels... Six barrels holds nothing good. They find the remains of eight different people who had been chopped up, mutilated, and stuffed in along with some acid. Funny enough, the wrong kind of acid that doesn't make bodies deteriorate. It's oh. like, it just keeps them. Like, <laughs> you know. So the exact opposite of <laughs> yeah. what he's trying yeah. to do. Right. Yeah. Um, and so this is actually one of the most infamous crimes in Australian history. Okay, so... Like I said, it's the bodies in the barrels, murders, the barrels in the bank, murders, Snowtown, murders. Okay, yeah. so any of those three there, and if you look up any of that, it'll probably all come up for this. So, um, One officer that was at this bank, when they searched it, said, quote, It was a scene from the worst nightmare you've ever had. I don't think any of us were prepared for what we saw. Now, remember, this is an Australian accent, so, you know. <laughs> It's much better. Yeah, neither one of us can pull that one off. Right. I, mean. <laughs> I, I feel like I can until I actually do, and then I don't. Does that make sense? If you were here by yourself, like, making yeah, dinner, it. you could completely oh, do I'd it. Oh, totally yeah, yeah, like, yeah, I'd totally do that. I'd say it perfectly. <laughs> um, so, how do we get to this little farming town? And this town, Snowtown, has about 500 people. And most people in Australia at, at this point had never even heard of this town, you know? And when you think of Australia... What do you think of? Snow. The outback? Oh. No, snow. Snow. snow oh, town, yeah. Right? oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. They're, Somehow. They get lots of snow down there. So the, this all goes back. It starts September 4th, 1966 in Anala, Queensland, when the guy named John Justin Bunting was born. Okay. <laughs> John Jacob Jingle and <laughs> yeah. Schmidt. They almost always have like three <laughs> names, right? So if you know somebody has three names, get away. Although oftentimes, I guess when you get arrested, they, they give your full legal name. Yeah, right. But then you just become that. Well, yeah. I mean, anyways, uh, when John was young, even younger than uh, swinging it off the bridge, <laughs> he would do all sorts of the serial killer vibes, right? Uh, he was disruptive. He was a bully, like torturing and killing animals, you know, just yeah, the normal. That's the one. And at some point when he was a kid, he got sick. And when he got better, he had lost his sense of smell. So hmm. this will come up later, obviously. Um, as he got older, he started to enjoy weaponry, photography, anatomy, and digging, like digging holes. He enjoyed digging. Yes. That was one of his things. He liked to dig. I guess we all enjoy our things. Um, yeah. And plus with all the other stuff, you know, and at eight years old, it says there's a friend's older brother, uh, sexually assaulted him. (laughs) And that became, began what became a lifetime obsession with hating uh homosexuals and pedophiles (laughs) and when he was a teenager he started and he called this a rock spider wall and uh rock spider is aussie slang for pedophile so i'm just (laughs) going to use that the rest of the time rock Rock spider Spider. it's way better than saying that other that's a that's a hell of a name so in prison if you're in there for that they call you a rock spider apparently it has it's like a because australians are ruthless it, it's apparently because rock spiders can't stay out of small cracks oh wow so the <laughs> the the quote joke of that is that they're rock spiders because they're pedophiles all right all right anyway so 
Um, so this rock wall, rock spider wall, is uh, imagine like you've seen it in the detective shows with the big cork board with all the pictures and the string tied right. from Charlie from uh, It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia has one <laughs> and that you know like and, and then this is piece to here and you know that kind of thing. Right. That's what it was. He had that set up, but. These were people that he thought with their names and personal information about people that he suspected were one or both either homosexual or uh, a rock spider. So he's obsessed. Yeah. And most of these people are on there with no evidence or just rumor. And sometimes just he thought that they were. Okay. <laughs> That's always trustworthy. So, yeah. So <laughs> as he's getting older, you know, he needs a job. Well, the, one of the first jobs he got was at a crematorium. And he loved this job, and apparently he was really good at it. And he did, like, have a love of anatomy, so, I mean, you know, he could have just been like, oh, wow, look, and then, like, throw him in the crematorium, right? Um, But eventually they they let him go. I'm I'm not sure why. I couldn't find out how. Um, And he moved to the suburbs of Adelaide where he got a job at an abattoir, which is a slaughterhouse. Right. And, And guess what he felt about that job? He loved that job, too. Yeah, I bet he did. And he bragged to friends about slaughtering animals and saying that's what he enjoyed the most. Like, wow. And he also, at certain points, he had killed dogs and skinned cats and, like, you know, no. all the serial killer stuff that nobody knows about till later. When I take a break from digging holes, I like to kill me a kitty <laughs> cat. Give me a kitty. <laughs> um, huh. In an Australian voice. Right. Uh, so around 1990, John's 23, and he makes some new friends in his new town that he lives in, which is not Snowtown. Uh, <laughs> and their names are Mark Hayden and Robert Wagner. And not the Robert Wagner that's like in Austin Powers and Towering Inferno. All right? Right. Not the, not the uh, dad of Natalie Wood's kid. <laughs> not the Robert Wagner. Yeah, did you know that? Natalie no. Wood had a kid with Robert Wagner? No. Yeah. Anyways, <laughs> not this Robert Wagner. This guy's Australian, and Mark was the uh, one guy that they would call they, that you would they would call him a simple man, and he was easily <laughs> manipulated. Right. All so, right. um, so in nineteen ninety one, John got married and then moved in next door to Robert. So and this is like this time span. He's meeting both of these people when he moves to this town. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, Robert had his own troubled past and had been taken off the streets by uh barry vanessa lane okay so vanessa was a transgender woman who's also a convicted rock spider um and robert was in a relationship with barry okay so john meets these guys they're all like becoming friends but there's all sorts of other shit going on (laughs) right you know like whatever um just a bunch of bad news almost right and john you know like i said did not like homosexuals and did not like rock spiders which this vanessa as previously as barry was both both interesting um but became friends with with robert and they all became friends including john with barry right um and robert told him about times he'd been molested and like he hadn't been able to get justice because his abuser had been killed in the car accident. So, I mean, John's like a manipulator. He's a controlling kind of guy. And, like, he's looking at, he's looking for people that are, you know, easily to easy to control and, like, yeah. easy to bring along 
hey, you have this hatred of this. I have this hatred of this. We don't like rock spiders. We don't like homosexuals. Yeah, he could he could be a cult leader if he chose to do such right. a thing. Um, and Mark and Robert basically both on board with John's ideas and issues against all of this. And so they became this little gang. Interesting. <clears throat> um, and like I said, John befriended Barry, who was Robert's lover, even though he was repulsed as a way. Uh, repulsed by Barry, but uh, he did it in a way to gain information about other, quote, similar people in the area. So, like, Barry was the inside, you know, right. on where all the gays and the rock spiders are in Adelaide. Right, right. And uh, this became a tactic they would, the, this gang, their little gang would use. And they would also use, like, they would just go after friends and acquaintances as well as family members. Hmm. Um, but they needed to find people that they despise. And John felt like if you were gay, that you were also a rock spider. Uh, like they went like hand in hand. If you couldn't be, you couldn't be gay and not the other. Right, right, right. Yeah. That's. I mean, he just had this hatred, right? Um. So August of '92, Clinton Trezise was invited over to John's house and uh, was never seen again. Uh, Into the barrel. Nope. Hmm. Uh, it was later found Clinton was beaten with a shovel in Bunton's, Bunting, that's John's living room, and buried in a shallow grave where he was found two years later. Yeah. So he disappeared. They didn't find him until 94. Um, John had accused him of being a rock spider. <laughs> and it's so much easier to say. Yeah, and I giggle every time. Um, and... He had this, John had this thing about recording and like talking about these things again. So from then on, Clinton became happy pants um, to whenever John talked about this murder. Okay. Right. So they find his body two years later, like I said, but they haven't really pieced it together because it's just a guy that went missing. Right. You know. Um, yeah, they're not hearing the story as you're telling them. Right. In uh, 94, John begins an affair with a woman named Elizabeth Harvey, and he meets her 14-year-old son named James Vlasakis. Okay? Um, John became a father figure to James, and guess what he started doing with James? Killing people. Well, he started just grooming James ah. to hate the same people, right? right? Right, So now our gang has four people. Uh, in 1995, a guy named Ray Davies, who had had a relationship with an ex of John's named Suzanne Allen. Okay, so I'm, I'm saying these names, but they're all intertwined, okay? Mm -hmm. Suzanne's grandson had told her that Ray had abused him, and uh, that the police were told about it. Well, when the police came looking for Ray, he wasn't anywhere to be found. Right. And on the Christmas on Christmas '95, John later told Visakis what he had done to Ray, and uh, he'd been stabbed in the leg by Visakis's mother and John's wife. Then um, Robert Wagner used jumper cable, jumper cables to strangle him. Oh wow! Um, they took him down to a town called Bacara and tossed him in a bathtub and tortured him in the genitals with clubs and crushing his toes with pliers. So torturing the guy to death um they buried him on a property that john used to live at and uh then they did the uh other thing that they started after all this hmm. 
uh, they sold they sold Ray's stuff and started getting his social security check. They kept him alive to like yeah, basically to get the money. Yeah. Um, l- later on in April of '99, Bunting was uh, it, it, trying to access multiple bank accounts of Ray's, which is probably some of the reasons that eventually this comes to an end. Right. Right. They're piecing together like, why is this bank account just now being used? Mm-hmm. They go back on video camera, find them. Yeah. Um, Suzanne Allen, that lady I just told you about, uh, she had, the one that reported Ray. Mm-hmm. Well, she was next. Oh, yeah. Um, on May 23rd, 1999, she was buried, found buried at John's house wrapped in 11 plastic bags. Oh, wow. Um, John claimed that she had died from a heart attack and that they hid the fact that she died to continue receiving her pension. Okay, so this is this is of all the things that happened, this is the one that he's not. There's no, he's never been convicted of this. Okay, because there's no way to tell. Right, right. Like they might have been telling the truth that she had died. It was so long that they could. Based on everything else that has gone probably, down, probably I would <laughs> say that she probably just knew too much at that point. Right. So, um, Michelle Gardner was a cousin of Robert Wagner. Or sorry, Wagner's wife. Um, at some point previously, the whole family, Robert's family, was all around, and Michelle had put her hand over one of the kids' mouths, like when they were outside playing, like "shh, be quiet," kind of. And that had made Robert angry. Michelle's also transgender. Um, Robert and John took her took her to a shed where she was tortured, and. Uh, cut up and put into a barrel. Wow. Um, one of her feet had to be cut off to allow her to fit into the barrel. So uh, they staged a robbery, a robbery at the house and said that Michelle had stolen money to pay for a sex change and then that's why she disappeared. So nobody really knows. These are just runaways and people that they can't find right now. There's no evidence of all this stuff, right? Right, yeah. Um, yeah, they, they don't really have a reason to believe they're dead or anything. Right. Yeah. They're just, I mean, adults are allowed to go missing. Right. There's no crime in that. So um, they did stuff like this for basically all the murders, and as well as recording victims saying plan lines. So they'd like force people to, like, while they're torturing them, say, I'm okay. I'm just, I need some time or whatever. Then they would use this to fleece the families to think the person was still alive. So they'd call the families later and, like, play this recording of their now deceased loved one who'd been missing right be like i'm okay i don't want to talk to you right now and then like hang up or something wow so like so they're also doing that to keep people's money they're getting social securities and pensions and stuff yeah. right wow all this is for that little bit of money they're getting right well after all of this the total that they all get is about ninety-seven thousand two hundred dollars. all right which isn't that much considering we're not there yet right, right. We're, like i said serial well, killers cons- right considering everything you're doing for it barry lane which you know was now was vanessa um knew too much since she had been friends with john and robert for a while and in october of 1997 vanessa mm. disappeared yep. um they had forced vanessa to call her mother and tell her she knew wanted nothing to do with her and she was moving and then she hung up and then they began to torture her for information to get her bank account and stuff. Yeah. Um, she was strangled and then dismembered and put into a barrel. Wow. John took control of her vehicle after that and uh, claimed her welfare payments. 
course so, he did. <laughs> all these things are probably adding up to make it easier to find you too, right? So yeah, for real. Um, all, all of these people around you, right? <laughs> you know, it's not happening to strangers, right? Yeah, I mean, uh, about a month later, Thomas, who uh, suffered from paranoid schizophrenia and hallucinations, began to act out. And uh, let's see. Sorry. Oh, it's all right. I skipped something. How do you do? Um, Bunting and Wagner with the Vanessa thing also uh, got Thomas Trevelyan, who was Vanessa's partner at that time, to help to do this. I don't he know how. He gets all these people to help. Yeah. To so then a month later, well, Thomas began to act out, and so Thomas had to go too because john said he was going mental and he'd be a liability now this guy also thomas who helped kill vanessa was also like i said did halluc- had hallucinations and suffered from paranoid schizophrenia so sure yeah he's freaking out right yeah. um robert and john took thomas out to the hills around the city and uh made him lean against the box put a noose around his neck and pushed the box out and left him hanging in a tree uh, because of his prior history, though, the coroner determined that Thomas had just killed himself. Hmm. Uh, later, after they were caught, they had said that they'd done that to kill him. So, at that point, they don't even know that this one's related at all. It's just right. Vanessa's missing. Thomas was dating them, and Thomas couldn't handle it and killed himself, kind of, is what the authorities are thinking at this point. Right. Okay, so Gavin Porter was a friend of Lasakis and was also a schizophrenic and was also a heron, heron addict. And with Vlasakis. And at some point, this guy, Gavin, moves in with John. John refers to him as a waste that no longer deserves to live. And one day when John sits down on a sofa, he gets poked by a needle that's left out. And uh, Robert was, or uh, Gavin was out in the car asleep. And he was attacked by John and Robert. Hmm. Um. He was able, while he was fighting back, he did stab John through the hand with a screwdriver. So, um, my goodness. After he was killed, they took the body inside, showed Vlasakis, and then jammed him into a barrel. Bodies in a barrel. Yeah. Um, August of 20, or 20, August of 98, sorry. Vlasakis' half brother, Troy Yu, disappeared. Okay. <laughs> His whole damn family. <laughs> right. Well, Vlasakis had told John sometime before that Troy had abused him when he was about 13, and while he was asleep, John, Robert, and uh, Jamie tied him up and handcuffed him. And while they were playing, this could be part of, probably the worst part of it, actually. Um, while they were torturing him, they were playing John's favorite album, <laughs> which they played several times during this, and it was the album by the band Live, and it was the album Throwing Copper. And I was like, oh, that... That might be worse. Yeah. Wow. So with this guy, Gavin, they beat him up, got his financial information, recorded him saying different phrases and words, and strangled him. Guess where they put him? In a barrel. Yeah, in a barrel. So John was keeping these barrels in a shed outside of his house, and from time to time, he would go out and open them up and, like, take a look. Like, yeah, yeah, look at me. Remember, he can't smell, so, like, he doesn't notice this. Yeah, I was thinking that earlier when you said that it's like ah, oh, he's not going to smell all the death around him <laughs> right um so fred brooks was the son of jody elliott who was once engaged to john and was also mark's wife's sister 
Okay. Yeah, so I mean, I'm yeah. telling you, these names are, I mean, they're totally relevant. These are people. Oh, right. But I mean, you're, I'm having to tell you these because they're all how they're it's intertwined. It's all this overlapping family. Yeah. Like, it's very incestuous killing spree that he's gone on. Right. So um, to speak. According to John, you know, whatever that means. Right. Uh, this guy, Fred, was a rock spider. And he was on the wall. And he was, John said that he was, quote, touching up young girls. And something needed to happen to him. All right. So in September of 98, Fred got the same thing. But this time, it got worse. Because they were putting out cigarettes in his ears, inside of his nose. They uh, injected bleach into his testicles. And they wired his penis and his testicles to uh, a transformer, which shocked him. Oh, man. And they even shoved lit sparklers into his... Oh, yeah. Into his what? Oh, his yeah. whistler. Yeah. Huh. Um, well, I mean, maybe after the spark, they would jam, like burn them to the ground and then pull them out and then put new ones in. <laughs> right. You know, is, um, Fred eventually, you know, died and was placed in a barrel in the shed. <laughs> um, the next one is probably the one that's, I mean, he was a disabled, physically and mentally disabled neighbor of John's, and he got the same fate. But they think that this one was he was probably targeted because of his disability benefits. I'm not sure how the disability or the benefits things work. If these people are missing, how come they're still getting checks that are cashed and nobody's like <laughs> noticing, right? Right. Um, Elizabeth Hayden was Mark's wife and Fred Brooks's aunt. And Mark had told her about the murders and well, that was a mistake. Cause John was like, she's got to go. And he, yeah. he already didn't like her and felt she was like a low life and a whore. So, um, John so killed gone. John killed him, killed her. Sorry, and then showed Mark, who was his. This was his wife, and reportedly he laughed when he was shown her remains. Hmm. Um, a neighbor uh, reported her missing, and the police thought it was weird that Mark hadn't reported it at all. Like he just said, right. she just run off, you know, just run off. Um. So John, Mark, and Robert were questioned, and the police were starting to connect the dots on the missing people. Finally, you know, this is right. you know, probably like the whole whole spree time is probably seven years, six years, oh, roughly. Oh, wow. And members of this family and friend group are just dropping, yeah. disappearing. But, They're I mean, you missing. know, some of it's like, I, I don't think that these were like the this was like a, like these groups of people like in towns like the, the cops just deal with these they don't care right you know yeah. these aren't like prominent members of society that are going missing like yeah. I mean these are you know I no don't know what any did. of the records of these are but a lot of these people were rock spiders so I mean like right. I don't know if the police are really like out to like find no one out even the, knows they're missing. who cares yeah. that the guy's missing right right um, so the heat was on I guess but John has this shed with a bunch of big old barrels in it yeah and then you know obviously he couldn't smell them but the neighbors could uh he finally gets a land cruiser moves a couple of them into there and then goes outside of a family friend's house and leaves the land cruiser there he just asked if he can leave this car outside their house like, sure and this family's named the freemans well, it didn't take long for the for the freemans and the other neighbors in their neighborhood to start smelling this and when they asked John about it, John told him that he had filled them with kangaroos and that he was using, going to use the kangaroos for his new company that he's starting that makes 
pet food. You know, we got a real Stephen Hawking's here. <laughs> you know, anyway, so he, he says yeah. that these barrels in the in the inside the Land Cruiser, which is a not a truck. Yeah, they're just baking in these barrels. Yeah. You know, that's how said, I'm going to cook the people meat. People are like, yeah, that's uh, sure that's kangaroos. Good idea, John. Um, then one day, the Freemans had something to tell John. They were moving, <laughs> and they were moving to Snowtown. Uh. Uh, so John and Mark were like, oh, that sounds good. They head down there, and they go down to Snowtown and find an old bank. Hadn't been used in probably 10, 12 years or so, and start renting it out for $60 a month, which is amazing. Yeah. Um, and then they decide to move the barrels into the vault of the bank. So that their idea apparently was to like cut them up, take them out, cut them up more, fill the barrels with concrete, and then go throw them in the ocean. I don't know why you would have kept them all this time anyway. I, I mean, guess you thought the acid was eventually going to eat them up. I guess, but, but he was using the wrong kind. He's basically <laughs> right. like just putting them in pickle juice or something. Right? <laughs> yeah. um, in early May, Lasakis told his stepbrother, David Johnson, there's a cheap computer for sale down in Snowtown, and David agreed to go with him down there and buy it. Well, Bunting, John, our buddy Bunting, uh, never liked David because he thought John was a uh, yuppie, or John deemed David as a yuppie or the F word. I'm not going to say that one. Um, because of his appearance. A like, fudge sickle? Yeah. Um, he was neither gay or a rock spider. It, it was just because like, he was a pretty boy to John, right? right? And so John just created in his mind that he had to be gay, so sure. he had to go away. Um, when uh, David and uh, Vlasakis showed up, remember, David's his half-brother, and uh, when they get to the bank, they attack David, and he's tortured, and while he's being tortured, they played a song called Voices of Death, which John had made using the voices and sounds of other victims that he had had. Oh, wow. He said, use those recordings to make this, right? Uh, after David was uh, killed, Robert cut off a chunk of David's flesh, and he and John fried it up and ate it. So my story has all three of October Thon's um, themes all wrapped into one. Yeah, really? Um, so by now, it's not the police are finally figuring this out. And they, they, Robert and John were major people of interest in a couple of missing people's cases. And now they're and, eating people. And they, well, yeah, and uh, you know, their withdrawals are being made from other pe- people's accounts years later, right? Um, so on May 16th of uh, 1999, a local police patrol in Snowtown spotted a Land Cruiser in a driveway, the driveway of the Freemans. And after running a check on it, they found it was a vehicle of interest in a missing person's case. So when the cops talked to the Freemans, they were told that John left it there after he dropped off some barrels at the bank on the other side of town. <laughs> the Freemans had no idea what any of this right. was. Yeah. They're good people just being like, yeah, you can park your car here, buddy. Like, Yeah, with your kangaroo. Yeah, I mean, you know, like, they might not be the smartest people in the world, but I mean, and you know, the cops said, oh, you know, what was, what's, what's well, the deal with that car? And they're like, oh, well, he just left it here. I have to drop some barrels yeah. off at the bank. They just thought of it him It sounds one. like John's pretty persuasive anyway. Right. So, yeah, he's I mean, definitely somebody can do this to people. Right. Um, so the cops decide, maybe we need to search the bank. So they find, they get in, and they find Ugh. all sorts of trash bags and Ugh. air fresheners, computer equipment, 
a shotgun, knives, a bloody power saw. The wrong kind of ass. And they open up the vault, and there's six big plastic barrels. So they open the barrels, and I don't know if they know what's coming, but eight bodies are stuffed into these six barrels, dismembered and stuffed in, right? Man, oh man. So they immediately like, okay, who's renting this? And then they kind of piece it together. They go to John's house back in Adelaide. They find two two bodies buried in the backyard. It's thought that they'd moved the moved the bodies in the barrels several times before actually making it to Snowtown. So like they just kept moving these yeah. barrels instead of like <laughs> getting rid of them. What a bunch of dummies. <laughs> so May twenty first, nineteen ninety nine, Mark, Robert, and John were all arrested, and uh, the longest it was the longest trial in the history of South Australia, lasting Damn almost well. a year. Good news: John was convicted of eleven murders. They wanted the twelfth for Suzanne, but you know, like I said, they. They said she had a heart attack, and they couldn't prove otherwise. So, right. And John is now sitting in prison for 11 life sentences. Yeah. Yeah. Robert, well, Robert got off a little bit easier because he was only convicted of 10 murders. He, well, he confessed to three, but he did get 10 life sentences. At Robert's sentencing, he said, pedophiles were doing terrible things to children. The authorities didn't do anything about it. I decided to take action. I took that action. Thank you. So he thinks they're all thinking the same. They're, they're doing society. Yeah, it's good, like, I right? think he actually believes it. Um, Vlasakis got four life sentences, but apparently he was eligible for parole. I doubt he's going to get it, but after 26 years, he was going to be eligible for parole, which means in the next couple of years. Right. Um, Elizabeth Harvey, who was Vlasakis's mother, she knew about the murders and even assisted in one of them. But, Right after John, Mark, and Robert were arrested, she died from cancer. So, I mean, she completely exonerated. Like, they can't do anything about that. Right. Mark, whose wife he laughed at her body, um, he got the best deal of all. Uh, he got 25 years, and he's eligible for parole after 18 years. I think he's already been up once or twice and not been released. Right. Um, he wasn't found to do any of the murders just for helping dispose of the bodies and covering things up. And remember, one of those was his wife. So, um, in 2011, a judge lifted most of the suppression orders on this case from, by request from the producers of the film Snowtown, which is a movie that you can, I think it's an Australian done movie, but, Mm -hmm. um, now it's weird because only one of the murders happened in Snowtown. So we've that was got the to last watch one. it upside down here. Yeah, right. right. Mm-hmm. You got to watch it from backwards, forwards too. <laughs> right. um, even though one murder happened in Snowtown, the name of the town is associated with this. Sure. And nobody there really likes it. None of the victims or killers were from Snowtown. So hmm. um, John's house, where two of the bodies were buried, was demolished. But you can still go on. And I did. Yesterday, the other day, I went online on Google Earth and found the, the bank still standing. Wow. Um, it's just a nondescript building. There's new owners of this that plan to renovate the bank and, ha- and the attached house to the bank and live there and have a business in the bank. But the business is going to be related to the murders at all. Like, well. And they're also going to put up a plaque to remember the victims. So, I mean, it's just kind of like, it's not like a fancy building. I don't know why you wouldn't just tear it down. Right. So that's uh, John Bunting, Robert Wagner, Mark Hayden, and James Vlasakis. Wow. Yeah. So you know, like a group 
yeah. gang of serial killers. I mean, it's almost like a Charles Manson sort of thing, though. Uh, yeah. With What's-His-Face sort of leading the charge. John just, yeah, yeah. just had that way about him. And, like, people said he was charming and nice and friendly. Yeah, he must have and, been. I mean, to get these people to, to do what you want them to you're do. You're doing like, something to I mean, get yourself ten life sentences to hang out with right. this guy. Well, and you like, kept your stinky-ass uh, land cruiser parked at these people's I mean, house. I mean, you know, so. like, it's just kind of like some of them just... You know, when you find out how some people get caught, it's like, oh, it's just a pizza wrapper or like, <laughs> right. you know, this guy's like trying to just go access bank accounts and stuff, you know. Yeah. I don't know if you know this, but that's not a good idea. $97,200. Right. Yeah, but you don't appear to be in your right mind anyway, so who knows right. what you're thinking. Well, you, I mean, yeah, after yeah. a certain point, you're probably thinking you can get away with it. Like, you've already gotten away oh, with yeah, it. Oh, yeah, you're the king of the you're world. like, more yeah. brazen instead of, mm-hmm. you know, stopping, but... So, yeah, happy endings on those. Yeah, you know, happy endings Horrible indeed. for the people involved. Happy trails yeah. to There you go. That's going to be our outro. <laughs> um, so, yeah, that's uh, this week's the, the Octoberthon Serial Killers. Yeah, that was a good one. And uh, our last one for next week is, I mean, I guess we should just go ahead and give a spoiler. Go it's going to be that Octoberthon is going to be about uh, the supernatural. Yeah. So Supernatural, paranormal. Yeah. Scary. Chris, is, Chris will come up with something, I'm sure. Yeah, I've already got it. Yeah, he probably already has like you know, 300 <laughs> of these already set up. I mean, it's definitely more my, yeah, I've already got it. And then I think we've got some ideas uh, already moving into November. Today. Yep, we'll have to come up with another thing, but it can't be Octoberthon in November, so we're going to have True. to come up with something else. So. Novemberama. Um, yeah, so hope you enjoyed that one. Um, as far as fucked up as it is, you know. Yeah, yeah, it was a. Uh, People got their just desserts for the most part. There was a lot to choose from, and we managed to to do two that I I don't think I ever did see that movie, Snowtown, because I didn't know any I tried to, but, but, I mean, the local video rental store didn't have it, so. (laughs) Yeah. You mean the public library? Yeah. (laughs) So, um. All righty. Get rid of your organs. Yeah, tie tie them up. Tie them up. No, uh, organ donor.gov. Tie them up, put them in a barrel. Yeah, there you go. OrganDonor.gov. I'm pretty sure that if you sign up, they don't put those in a barrel. They yeah, just kind of put them in a cooler and sure get going not. and give the transplant. So, uh, yeah, yeah. And, uh, we appreciate you guys, Love and we'll you. see you on the next one. Bye.